0: it's time to take command with former nfl tight end logan paulson and former commander's beat reporter craig hoffman
1: take command podcast from odyssey sports i'm craig hoffman that is logan paulson and uh logan how your how your nails you bite them all off by the end of by the end (laughs) of that one
2: yeah i mean it definitely was a game that kind of felt closer than it needed to be and you know, Props to Atlanta. I thought they did kind of what we thought they would do. They ran the football really well. I kind of felt like at times, Arthur Smith like outsmarted himself trying to throw the football when they were being very efficient running the football. I understand why he did that. But again, props to the commander's defense for being ready for those kind of changeups um, And then making plays kind of late in the game when they had two couple TFLs that got uh, Atlanta in weird spots where they had to punt the football. So it just felt like it shouldn't have been that cl- it felt like it should have been close but not that close i guess is what i'm saying and yeah. um and i think that was something that was uh a little surprising coming into that fourth quarter just being like man like atlanta if we're being totally honest probably should should i know there's no shoulds in football but probably should win the game um yeah you know, they
1: run they run the ball down there at, at the goal line instead of throwing it Payne can't get his hand on it and look Getting past that Washington front when they got to have it, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Look at the fourth down decision earlier yep. in the game at the end of the first half, which is an, also an interesting inflection point of the game. Rivera not calling timeout. It kind of winds up working out because Heineke throws just a god-awful pick yeah. um, there. But, you know, I, I would have, the way Atlanta was rolling, probably trusted Cordero Patterson to to get it in. Instead, they throw it and Payne gets a big old paw up and, and they get the interception and, and game over. So it's, um, it's a it's weird one, man.
2: And then Cordell Patterson's open. You know, I don't know if he scores there, but it's definitely a completion. Yeah. You're probably on like the one-yard line at, at worst, touchdown at best. And there isn't a lot of time left to be scrounging around. I also thought it was interesting that – this this is props to Jack, I think. You know, like their whole third down, uh, third and short plan was kind of based off the quarterback RPO stuff or quarterback zone read stuff. And so I, I felt like a little bit because they had adjusted to that in the second half. They got the fourth down stop. The commanders I'm talking about now – you could tell Arthur just didn't feel super comfortable calling it there. And it was a little bit like, well, what do we do? And I'm, and if I'm him, if I'm advising him, I'm saying, Hey man, just take a shot with Algiers at the end zone three times in a row in terms of running it right down their throat. I'm pretty sure based on how the game was going, you'd get one, but again, kind of overthinks himself there a little bit. And, you know, again, the, the commander's defense kind of leads to that through the, through the production of the game. But, um, you know, just there was a couple decisions like that by him where you're like, eh, that's a little weird. Like, why not just kind of stick with the girl that brung you? You know what I mean? The play before is the one that kind of sets them up weird. They they try to do a rollout pass in the goal line uh, to, for the touchdown, and then that ends up being the weird Mariota scramble that kind of sets up that second and three from the goal line. So just, a, again, not bad play calling there, but just a little bit surprising maybe. And um, and I think the Washington Commanders, again, they, they earned that, you know, uh James does an excellent job on the uh what is it, the the zone read, the play before the two plays yep. before. And uh they've earned that. But again, like you kind of wonder what Arthur was thinking there in certain situations.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean it is it kind of plays out the way that I said at when we made our predictions at the end of countdown and kickoff. I said you know at the end of the day, I feel like Washington's just a slightly better version of Atlanta. Right. And that's and you're right, exactly what it was. Yeah. These two teams run very similar game plans on the day. Mariota throws it 25 times, Heineke 23. Uh, Atlanta rushes it 29 times. Washington rushes it for a season. Actually, sorry, that's not a season high. 37 attempts. The 176 yards they get on the ground, though, that is a season high. And it's the kind of thing that I, uh, like Scott Turner to me is on a heater um yeah you know i i don't have a lot of complaints about the game plan I, i'd be curious once we we look back at the film on wednesday uh on the show that like where was curtis samuel uh i'm a, extra a little bitter about that personally because i had I had a financial investment in curtis having a day uh, but uh just from a production standpoint it would seem like getting curtis and jahan a little bit more involved in the past game uh some quick easy stuff would probably be beneficial but at the end of the day, like it's just like you're tweaking at that point. You're like, all right, let's let's see if we can get our guy a touch. Let's see if we can uh, be a little bit more efficient in the passing game. But from a game plan standpoint, the play calling itself, how they manage the game, very very few nits to pick with Scott Turner for what the fourth fifth straight week, yeah. and and it's as simple as you know one. Because it's not as simple as just running the ball 37 times, right? It, it is early in that game, including, by the way, the first play of the game. Right? They take a shot. They go, hey, let's go play action, get it out, get the ball to Terry. I think it was a 26-yard completion. Uh, we didn't know at the time that would be basically a fifth of uh, Taylor's passing total on the day. Um, but by establishing that threat early and for, with a couple of other passes where Heineke goes 4-4 four four on that first drive and picks up a couple of chunks, that allows you... To be a little bit more versatile in your play calling the rest of the day, they use you know Samuel on a ton of jet sweeps and you know what I like to see him back in the backfield a little bit. Sure, again knit to pick, but they use him as kind of that edge player, yeah, to keep some width in the defense, and and I just think Scott has really found a way with Taylor that is not going to get you a lot more than 20 points necessarily, but feels like against most teams, the NFL is going to get you 20 points. And the way the defense is playing right now, that's going to win way more games than than it's going to lose.
2: Yeah. And I think in addition to kind of like these overarching kind of like philosophical things, obviously Gibson gets the reverse early, you know, we mentioned uh, them. the Curtis Samuels touches on the reverses. I think the, the identity that they've, that they've been able to establish with this like duo run concept. They, they do other stuff, but obviously the, the run they run the majority of the time is this duo. And I remember on the field goal drive, I believe, they ran duo four times and they ran it out of four different formations, getting to it four different ways with four different, not different personnel groupings, but different alignments and assignments. And I just I just think that, again, it's it's allowed for this kind of ownership of the run game that we haven't seen so far with them and um, an execution level that's been great. And then for them to kind of throw in some kind of cute little trick plays, you know, the long run to Brian Robinson, they're in um, uh, an overload to the right, an unbalance to the right. So you've got an extra offensive lineman to the offensive right. Bates is essentially playing tackle on the left side. He pulls and is able to kind of get out in front, and Brian Robinson's on the edge, you know. And so, you know, not – you know, I'd I'd have to go back and look, but I'd say they probably ran 10 – 12 duos, and then to have some of these other like little game plan nuances in there to elevate the run game that you've got is pretty cool. And to see the guys own that duo concept, how that affects the play action, the first play action pass of the game is off that duo play action because it is so visually stimulating to the defense. So I, I really think that's I don't want to say it's a catalyst, but it's definitely a big piece of them kind of understanding who they are offensively and and, and developing an identity. Um, you know that fits what like Brian Robinson wants to do, for example. I will say if you're if you're looking at this team, I think you say, "Wow, that Atlanta offense is pretty impressive." You know, for them to for everyone like for my mom who doesn't watch football to understand that Atlanta's got to run the football, and then um you know them to go out and run the football. I think speaks to that group for their inability to pass. I think that's something they got to get corrected this offseason. I think the defense kind of let them down a little bit, and we we talked about in the pregame show, but. For the defense just to kind of, the Atlanta defenses just kind of fall down on their face. And Brian Robbins to average like damn near six yards a carry, I think is pretty fantastic for, for Washington.
1: Yeah, uh, final numbers on the day 18 for 105 for Robinson, the long of 21 that you mentioned, 5.8 yards per carry. And Jonathan Williams, who's kind of yeah. running that same stuff, you know, and Gibson's got kind of a different selection of run plays. He goes 9 for yeah. 32 at 3.6, but Williams comes in and goes 4 for 22 at 5.5 five a, a pop. So that duo play that you're talking about, and especially the version that they're using. Where they kind of bring both tight ends in motion, yeah, you know, and, and one of them is that arcing lead blocker, but but you kind of set the other tight end up inside, and that again, like it, just like you said, man, like it not only gives them something that they go back to time and time again, and it allows them to build confidence running that play but the play action off of that is so visually stimulating for the defense that you get the reaction that you were not getting earlier this year and it took until like week 10 for them to figure that out to finally find something that consistently they could go to not just in the running game but especially off the play action and to see that be successful now multiple weeks in a row including by the way that was that first play of the game to Terry uh that is that is great the If you want to say, like, the problem is, and you don't want to go super negative after a win, uh, but given the schedule coming up, the high-quality teams that they're going to play, like, they've got to continue to find ways. We're, we're going to be like Rivera wants them to be on on this show. Hey, just because you won doesn't mean you can't correct stuff. Um, Heineke on the day is 14 of 23, 138 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, has another pick that's overturned correctly, um, but turnover-worthy play for sure. Um and and a couple of others that are you know close calls and it's weird because it doesn't feel like he was awful those numbers are pretty rough like 138 yards passing it's yikes man um but at the same time like it it just i don't know it works i don't actually i don't even know how i feel i kind of want to watch it again and and Maybe I'll have a better feeling by the time we do this again. I mean, I will have a better feeling by the time we do this again on Wednesday. I might have a better feeling by three o'clock when I take the air for for the Hoffman show tomorrow. Yeah. But I just I am very mixed because like emotionally, I feel like Taylor kind of did the job, and that might just be an adjustment of expectations that my expectations for him are very, very low. and mm-hmm. that if the offense overall does enough, then I feel like, hey, good job, Taylor. you did your part but it's not going to quiet down Ron's internal desire to want to try something with a higher ceiling. Uh, And that obviously is Carson Wentz as he comes back to help.
2: Yeah. I personally, obviously we've got to watch the film, but I personally think this is like the first, this is like the pendulum swinging back for Heineke. Like if you look at what he's done so far this year, I think there's been some really good moments, some things he's done really, really well. And I think it kind of swings back. I think about Minnesota, that was probably one of his rougher games start to finish. Right. And then this game felt like that. But I felt like um, Atlanta didn't have the defensive personnel to capitalize on it necessarily and hurt you the same way and really kind of put him in a confounding situation. They didn't have the pass rush. Right. So all those things that kind of imploded and and kind of tidal waved him back, you know, against Minnesota, like that was the same type of performance. But the result was drastically different because, you know, like the defense wasn't quite as good. And I think they weren't able to capitalize on some of that variance that everyone was talking about turnover-worthy pro plays and kind of how he ranks very high in that statistic. But I also think, like, you know, this this defense wasn't able to maximize that necessarily. So that's kind of how I feel about it to start. Like, this is part of the Heineke experience, right? It's going to be good, like I think about last week. Um, gosh, who did they play last week? The Houston Texans. And then the week yeah. before that, Philadelphia, right? Mm-hmm. And to get those two performances of very high Taylor Heineke play – it's going to come back at some point. And this is him coming back. And it just happens to be very fortunate that it doesn't come back and bite him totally in the butt. So obviously I have to watch it myself and kind of review what's going on there. But I think that this is a great example of like what you get in terms of the variance, you know, like those those statistical nerds kind of talk about the variance of a statistic. Like this is the other side of that variance. This is the side where like, he's not going to play well. He's going to put the ball in harm's way. And he just kind of skates out of it unscathed because the defense isn't able to capitalize
1: yeah but at the same time if you go deeper than 138 yards e not not exactly exciting um zero sacks
2: yep good on third and, down
1: uh on third down today they were five of 12 not one bad. of one on fourth down um and they somehow increase their lead in the nfl this year in time of possession They're 3,309. They have been averaging about 32,40 something. So they're 3,309 time of possession. And if he can operate the offense to that level, I just find it hard to believe that they're going to move off of that. I'm not saying that it's not tempting to see if there's something else out there that's better uh, in Carson or, I mean, get wild with Sam. But, like, at this point of the season, you're not going to the rookie. But, like, it's just – it just – it makes sense in some facets because he's willing to run that game plan. He does the things you do need to do to avoid the negative plays. Again, Terry is your leader in targets and has a bunch of really big catches in the game. Some key third downs uh, that, that he converts. Uh, McLaren on the day, four for 48 on six targets. And... He also, like the touchdown of Robinson, he just gets it out quick and lets Brian do his thing. He's, he understands the old Alex Smith, like you're not going to go broke making a profit kind of deal. And I think that the other part of that is you're not going to go broke when you don't lose any money. And <laughs> zero zero sacks for zero yards means you lost no money on that side of it. And so that that to me is is ultimately the overriding factor right now. I'd still probably take that over okay, yeah, he threw for 180 yards or, you know, 220 yards, 250 yards, but got sacked four times in, you know, the same touchdown interception situation.
2: Yeah, but I think, you know, I know there's going to be a conglomerate of people who want Carson back in the lineup. And, I, you know, if there's a couple more performances like this, I think that's the thing. If this had gone, like, let's say, for example, like we were talking about the, uh, the pitch in the first quarter on the first or the second drive of the game where it yeah. kind of, his fl- flounder on the ground. Like I understand like, you know, he's trying to get the ball out. I trying not to exact, but let's say that goes the other way and that's right. a fumble. Right. And then he throws the, the interception. To AJ Terrell is right. This game is we're having a di- different. very different, it's discussion. A very different conversation. And I think that's, that's the thing that, that I think the guys at PFF, the national media correspondents, that's the thing that they're looking at. They're not looking at like, Oh yeah, he did a great job to buy Robinson. He did a great, great job to Terry McLaurin. They're not looking at that. They're they're saying at some point this is going to explode and it's going to be a terrible game. And is it in a game that matters? Like, you know, is it... Quite frankly, all the games for the rest of the season matter. But there is a team, probably San Francisco, maybe the Giants, probably Dallas. They're going to be able to capitalize on these mistakes he's making if he gives them to them, right? And like we've talked about, he doesn't do this every week. Like Philadelphia played a pretty clean brand of football. I know he threw the, the interception, right? Against Houston, pretty clean outside that first kind of attempt to throw an interception early in the game, but don't have really have a problem with that. But then you go to Minnesota and you see what happens when he's kind of leveraged, when when it, when it swings back the other way, so at some point it's going to happen. It just like is it at a point where it ruins their chances to make the playoffs or, or whatever it is, whatever the goal for the team is. So um, I, I I think he deserves to start, but if I'm a national person, a national media personality, I say, man, Washington dodged a bullet because there's four plays in here that should this should have been turnovers, could have been turnovers in addition to the one that was, and um, and like I said, we, like we've talked about this at nauseum he elevates the offensive line. He elevates the pass game right now. But there's also if those things are actualized, they lose this game. So that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. And it just it's not a matter of if it happens, it's a matter of when it happens.
1: Right. And just to to quickly uh reiterate something that we agreed upon on the pregame show when we had this discussion this morning, Carson can have that game too. And yep. that because of that it's not like you're going back to 2018 Aaron Rodgers or 2000 uh, anything Tom Brady. You know, you're go, you're going back to 2022 Carson Wentz. And if that's the case, then, um, you know, I don't know how much – I think we both would rather take uh, this version of Taylor that doesn't have the downside of the sacks and, and those kinds of things that keeps the offense trucking. And how they've gone from 2-4 and four to very much in control of their own playoff destiny. They're a half yes. game behind the Giants who they play for their next two games with a bye in the yep. middle – Um, so there's a chance they could, if they win both of those games and the giants lose the game in between, like they're, they're three games up on New York. Um, they also have a game against Dallas. Who's the other team that's ahead of them in the wild card. So they could get, I mean, they're not going to catch Philly probably unless the Eagles just implode down the stretch, um, at nine and one, but they're, they're two games back in the lost column of Philly. Uh, they're one game back or sorry, the win column of Philly. They're, they're one game back of Dallas. They're tied with New York. And they play all those teams. And then depending on what happens in the West, you've got San Francisco and Seattle who are currently tied record-wise. San Francisco holds the tiebreaker. But if you wind up in a tiebreak situation with San Francisco, you play them too. So like Washington is very much in control of their own playoff path right now. And I just, that is that is wild considering the things we were saying. I sat on one of these post-game pods and drank a beer earlier this year, Logan. That's true. I
2: mean, I think this this to me is what I try to keep in mind every single week of the NFL season is look at the New York Giants right now. There is a chance that they lose the rest of the games for the season, right? And they are 7-11. and And obviously that's a better record than a lot of people thought, but they just got hot at the right time. And then it was in the national kind of zeitgeist for a while that, oh, the Giants are really good. This is awesome. The season goes in waves. It goes in quarters. Like the first quarter of the season is really nonsense, in my opinion, because you don't really know what anybody is. And then the second quarter of the season you kind of figure out, okay, this is who they want to be. This is and then it's not till like game eight, nine ten that you say this is what this team is. And that's why the second half of the NFL season is so fun, right? It's because everything becomes finalized. So it's cool that the defense has kind of grown up. They've become they've blossomed into a unit that we feel pretty good about. The special teams is playing really well. The offense has this identity kind of centered around running the football. And according to kind of trending NFL statistics at the moment, like that's a viable way to win football games, which a lot of people thought was impossible at the beginning of the season. So I think it's just, a, it's, a, it's a really exciting time to be a Commander's fan. And I think the coaching staff, Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, Jack Dorio, all the assistant coaches deserve a ton of credit for that. And also the players deserve a ton of credit. We talked about this previously, but we can't say it enough. Just how some of these young pieces have developed, Forrest leads the team in tackles today. Right, seconded by Jamin Davis, right? Two guys that were kind of like, who are they going to be? What's their role going to be? Is Jamin going to be out of the league in two years? Like, and now all <laughs> of a sudden they're huge contributing pieces to this team. You get um, Christian Holmes stepping in for an injured St. Juice, who does an excellent job today. I mean, obviously there's a face mask penalty, but for a guy There's, who's, there's
1: one or two other plays where he kind of lost to Edge
2: Contain, and you're like, ah, buddy. Like a seventh round pick to come in and kind of yeah. be a developmental piece. I don't think that's a bad thing, right? Uh, you know, McCain at the nickel, right? That's been a really nice addition. Uh, So all of those things are very, very exciting. I mean, Casey Tewell has another tackle for loss today almost and gets in on a sack. Like these pieces that were much maligned and kind of like unimpressive are now kind of growing. So it's exciting. You'd like to see some of that, again, some of that develop for you know, on the offense. And I guess there is like the running backs have developed quite a bit. The offensive line is galvanized. Terry McLaurin is kind of being the big dog, uh, which is the first time like I've really seen him kind of own that since I've been covering the team. So like, that's been really cool. And then obviously the one variable there, which is maybe the most important variable, which we've talked about a lot in the pregame on the podcast is, is Taylor. And, um, and those things, I think we know the answer to Taylor. It's just about, can the other things around him continue to develop to insulate him even further?
1: For sure. Uh, Last thing I do want to mention, real quick, we got to we got to show some love to the defense on the way out here on the podcast. They hold Marcus Mariota to 174 yards through the air, touchdown and interception for Mariota. Obviously, the interception coming at the most opportune of times. Uh, Falcons. It's funny because no individual rusher has more than 54 yards, but they gained a buck 67 on the ground, thanks in large part to Mariota's 49. Um, but Patterson 11 for 52, uh, Algier 11 for 54, Huntley had the one for 12 as well. Um, It didn't feel like a dominant performance. In fact, a lot of times it felt like they were getting run all over. But like this was classic Washington bend but don't break. Like they bent, they bent, and they're like, fine, go ahead, score on us in the red zone or kick a bunch of field goals. And they kicked a bunch of field goals, and that was enough to win thanks to one big play from Deron Payne with his big old giant mitt and then a heck of a job to adjust and, and secure the football from Kendall Fuller.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, when you really think about it, there's probably two drives that Atlanta goes on in terms of running football consistently that really make you feel like, oh, that wasn't that good. And like I said, I think a little bit of that is Arthur Smith kind of maybe overthinking it a little bit. And But I will say, man, that the special teams, that one play coming out of the third quarter was gigantic because you mentioned the time of possessions, right? So. They, they kick the punt. They, they punted the football. It's down inside the five, six-yard line, whatever it is, kind of on a jet Just, just
1: playing the rain beautifully. Let's just doink it down there, splash landing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then they go three and out. And so then, basically, Atlanta gets one possession in the third quarter. And that, again, is one of those sneaky things that you don't think about, right? It's like one of those th- things where you play the possession football game where, like, even if you are hemorrhaging yards a little bit in the run game, they only get to do it sporadically and if they don't get it right that's the one thing about a, a kind of a rhythm run offense which i would characterize Atlanta as if they don't get it right they're going three and out and if you go three and out you got to punt back to a team that's going to hold the football for a long time and possibly score some points so i think that again is it's one of the beautiful kind of nuances of that style of game plan and um kudos to the defense for kind of maximizing that backed up situation cuz really like to me that's the key of the game that's like the turning point of the game right that's Where, you know, Washington has like a four play drive. They punt, they get the ball back kind of in that forty yard range. They drive down, they convert the fourth down, they end up scoring a touchdown. And that's that's the ball game right there. I mean, it's sixteen to thirteen, they get another field goal, but that eliminates all of Atlanta's offensive production in the third quarter. And then you could feel them in the fourth quarter with a little bit more urgency. And I felt like that's one of the reasons why Arthur Smith is making some of these kind of perplexing decisions. Like, we need to get back in the game. Let's call a play class here. Let's do some of this stuff. And it's like, if you really look at the clock and time management, just run the football, right? Do what you are, be yeah. who you are. But the, again, the pressure and the way the game shaped out and the limited number of opportunities that they had in that third quarter really lends itself to a, uh, to stressing Atlanta. And like, obviously the defense didn't make a play to win the game and they were able to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the offense really put them in a tough spot at the end of the game because, you know, Atlanta, it was actually kind of funny. I, um, I had paused the game to make lunch and stuff and was catching up and then forgot that I was catching up. So I was watching behind and I tweeted, Hey, great job by the defense getting off the field and uh, you know the offense could salt this game away. I got a couple <laughs> of tweets back saying like, "Hey, buddy, uh, you're behind." I was like, "Oh yeah. crap, I am." I was like, delete tweet. Fast forward, <laughs> and by then the offense had already gone three and out at the end yeah. of that game. And and interesting too because they they start that drive with Gibson when Robinson had been the guy all all game, and he gets yeah. pushed out uh for a loss of 2 Robinson gets one check down to Gibson gets him some 7 back to help out the press and the punt team a How little bit How much time bit. was on the clock then Um but you go from you you get the ball with 708 yeah. you give it back with 509 which is a you know a 2 minute drive for a three and out That's a pretty that's a pretty good job of clock management by Taylor Heineke. Um, however, uh, you, you, you'd like to get a first down there and, and really kill that clock and get a field goal out of that drive, especially because they started with it at their own forty. Yeah. And so if you get a if you kill five minutes at seven oh eight in a field goal, it's a two score game with two minutes left. They yeah. don't. They give it right back, and, and Atlanta marches ten plays in four oh five before they ultimately throw the interception. Um, you know, Montez Sweat it jumps off sides on that uh that third down, uh, Mariota scrambles out, loses two, and then and then on the second and goal at the Washington four is when when the interception
2: comes. And it just felt like that was the other drive where it just felt like they were opening such huge run lanes, right? They were doing such a good job on the interior there of, of finding double teams and winning matchups, and it was. I really am excited to go back and watch what they did because it's something that no one's been able to do to this team, but. You know, we talked about the kind of game and the game management there for Arthur Smith. And honestly, if that ball isn't batted, that's completed, like we said, for maybe a touchdown. But it is batted. Yeah. And I think Payne has shown a proclivity for that. Right. I, you were saying something about how he is like third or fourth in the league in terms of batted passes. Or maybe Allen is maybe the two of them together. Right, I don't know. Both what it is. of them are definitely
1: high. Um, right. Payne came into the game as the uh, tied for fourth. Uh, in the NFL in passes defended by defensive tackle. Uh, Brown from Carolina had six TJ Jones and Tyre tart, Denver and Tennessee had five apiece, and then Payne tied with a couple of other guys, including Jeffrey Simmons from Tennessee with four coming into the game.
2: Right. So obviously he's shown like a kind of a knack for that over the course of the year. So I want to say it's a little bit serendipity, but also, you know, he's, he's been making that play. He made, he's made that play four times this year, five times counting today. So, um, as much as I want to say it's a little bit lucky, like, you know, what is that thing where like luck and skill, skill meet, right? right? They right opportunity and skill. And I think that's what you see there.
1: Yeah. Opportunity uh, or luck is when opportunity meets skill or something like that. I don't know. We could probably just keep butchering it in versions that sound basically correct. (laughs) Yeah. Leave a comment. Leave a comment. If you know what it is. Yeah. Leave a comment on YouTube and just be like, Hey, here's the the Chinese (laughs) proverb that you're looking for. Actually, it's a German proverb. Actually, it's yeah, a whatever. Right. You know, yeah, someone, right. someone, someone let us know where the proverb came from and what it is. <laughs> uh, also, while you're doing that, there, before you scroll down to the comments, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit like and then hit subscribe to the channel. That would be much appreciated. And if you're just listening to us on a regular old podcast platform, no visuals involved that's fine that's how I consume most of my podcasts uh, I'm a Spotify guy myself but the Apple podcast app is also great of course if you're listening for Odyssey Podcasts, I'm listening on the always free Odyssey app wherever you're listening same thing hit that subscribe button and we're coming at you three times a week during the season here on take command our next podcast is Wednesday we do an extensive film review of the game Logan watches all the all 22 I watch as much as I can because uh, he has fancy technology that allows him to watch it in a much more efficient fashion than I do and and he also has the knowledge to make sense of it at a higher level. And I just ask him questions about it. Uh, that is coming up on Wednesday show. And then on Friday, we will prepare for the New York giants who the commander see before going on their bye, and then come back and see again. again. Uh, one of the weirdest scheduling quirks, by the way, that I've ever seen in the NFL. I cannot ever remember a time seeing a team playing the same opponent back to back. Obviously the giants are two and three weeks because uh, they don't have a buy in between. But what a wacky bit uh, late in the season here as we go into December. Commanders in control of their own playoff, uh, their own playoff path, in control of their own destiny, if you will. Although I kind of hate that phrase because destiny is supposed to be, by definition, preordained. And now now we're getting really philosophical, Logan. Uh-oh. Watch uh, out. Watch out. All right. That's it. That's all for this edition of Take Command. Appreciate you listening, and we'll see you on Wednesday. I'll see you all tomorrow on the radio on The Hoffman Show.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Mm-hmm.